Hello and welcome once again to our kitchen table. I'm sitting down with my wife, your therapist, and today we're going to recap her first speaking engagement at a diversity, equity, and inclusion conference earlier today. Yep. As always, my name is Price, and I married your therapist. I'm Ash, and I'm your therapist. I think we know that this is a podcast and not therapy. Let's get into it. <laughs> oh, we've updated. <laughs> Working on it. Wow. We're workshopping something new. Okay. I love it. Um, so yeah, earlier today, you gave a presentation in front of, I would, I would say 200, 250 people. I don't think there were supposed to be that many people there, but yeah, it was a good crowd. <laughs> it was a large crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, it, these were all diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals mm-hmm. from the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. And, and it was hosted by the NC Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much. Hosted by the NC Chamber of Commerce. And it was really your first foray into speaking about neurodiversity in the workplace in front of workplace professionals. Yeah. How did it go? It was really, really good. I'm, um, I'm feeling low energy after everything. I yeah, think that it, was it was a big day. It was a big day, Um, but it was a really, really good one. I just think as soon as I got there, I walked in the room and I was like, these are my people. Like the people who are doing this work at their organizations are are the people that I love. (laughs) As you were feeling a little nervous as anybody would leading up to it, I definitely assured you that I was like, look, if this doesn't go well, we'll just go home and talk shit about it on our podcast. <laughs> that was helpful. <laughs> that actually did help you, didn't it, was, it? it? really did help me. I was like, that's right. I have a platform for this. And yeah, that's good. But all, all things considered, it went better than either of us expected it would, I think. Yeah, I think it went... I think that I always have this hope that things are going to go really, really well. Like I... I'm preparing for the worst and my anxiety is definitely about like, you know, I think you said on the way over, like, you know, as long as you don't like shit your pants, this is going to be fine. (laughs) As long as you don't actually literally shit your pants on stage. And I was like, fuck, now that's a possibility. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But as we were headed over, you know, I was nervous, but I think I was hoping that it might go well and that I might get to talk to you know, one or two people or just meet the other speakers there and like have a positive experience. I was like, at the very least, I'll get to speak with the woman who invited me and I'll get to, um, you know, listen to these other speakers and that'll be cool. I like learning about new stuff and Mm -hmm. I don't know about DEI at that level. Like I've got no idea what's going on. So this will be interesting, but it went so well. So if you've been listening to the podcast for really any period of time, you know a few things. You know that Ashlyn is a therapist. Congrats on putting that together. (laughs) Uh, You know that she is autistic and that she specializes, and really this podcast specializes in talking about neurodivergent issues. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like our major community is like neurodivergent and queer folks. So to see her, because I'm familiar with your platform when we're talking to your clients or people who we kind of consider to be in the same boat as your clients, right? We're like right. speaking to the people, right? Directly right. to people the people. who are already aware of this sort of space and who either identify with it or are curious about it in some yeah. way coming in. But it was very cool to see you pivot your message to talk to business people, to talk to corporate types who are invested in and focused on expanding inclusion opportunities and diversity and equity opportunities within their organization. And historically, you know, DEI, I think we heard today that this movement within the corporate world, although they've been doing research and studies on these topics since the the early nineties, mm-hmm. um, like specific, specifically calling out like the phrase DEI right. been around for a long time. But a lot of these folks were like our, organization started this effort seven years ago i kept hearing seven years ago yeah and a lot then of people it like a year or three years into this process but i think that for a lot of folks in the dei space the conversation has been appropriately around race Mm -hmm. around gender discrimination against 
um, LGBTQ, like homophobia and discrimination against those folks, that's been right and appropriate. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard or have personally not been exposed to the message that you brought. And from the reception that you received today, it seemed like it was kind of a fresh topic for a lot of these folks is to actually consider the impact of neuro, the neurodiverse, um, brains that are in your workforce. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about what, what was your kind of thesis statement? What was the message you had for those folks? Well, I mean, I think that the people that we were talking to today are doing really important work because they're in an uncomfortable place in their organizations. I think still being the person who's constantly coming to the table and saying like, listen, we've got to do better here. I can imagine that that's not always very welcome. (laughs) Um, and that there's a lot of like, you know, needing to kind of negotiate in that space. Let me tangent really quick. Yeah. There was a gentleman there that we met today. I'm going to name drop him. Mm-hmm. Stephen Johnson. Mm-hmm. That was his name, right? Stephen mm-hmm. Johnson. Stephen Johnson is the head of, I forget his actual title, but he's in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Lowe's. Yeah. That small mom and pop hardware store. Right. That yeah, that's about? what he said. 300,000 <laughs> employees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen Johnson, and this is incidental to like the what I was thinking about, he's a black man. Mm-hmm. Well... I for I know that I've been in Lowe's out here in our rural community mm-hmm. where that would be commented on. Yeah. Oh, this this black man is senior in our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not <laughs> that's not saying anything about Lowe's in particular. It's more talking about like where we happen it's to talking live. Talking about where we live. But I I was just like, yeah, this is a this has got to be a hard fucking job for mm-hmm. these folks. You, you know, it's got to be a hard fucking job to be advocating that these corporations who are there to earn a profit yeah. at the end of the day to turn a profit to... Right, that every conversation at that level is coming down to a bottom line. Like, is it good for our business? <laughs> is it good for yeah. making money? Yeah. And so the, you've got these folks making the business case, but also trying to say like, look, I'm tired of making the business case. Mm-hmm. I just want to do this because it is the right thing to do. And yeah. that makes us a stronger business is by like doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but businesses aren't here to be the beacon of morality, right? right? Yeah. They're here to turn a profit. And if you accept capitalism as the the system we live in, mm-hmm. then you accept implicitly that these businesses are fundamentally, their moral uh, ultimatum, like ultimately what they are trying to do is earn a profit above right. all else, yeah. right? And so it is just such a pinpoint or like such a pressure point conversation in these organizations of like doing the right thing, even when it costs us mm-hmm. to do so. I find it fascinating. I yeah. think that the p- folks who were in that room were fascinating. Some of the things we got to hear was fascinating. Oh, man. Yeah. And the closing speaker was talking about generational issues and how different generations are encountering kind of this space. And that of course, millennials, us, and Gen Z, who are a lot of the folks that I work with, we're coming in and we're like, something has got to change here. Like, I am not willing to stick with the status quo. But then she was also talking about how people have come before us and have like seen so much change, but also a lot of those folks, a lot of the marginalized folks who were in those spaces at the time, like they got to where they are and they're, they've been able to be successful because they had to like keep their head down and that it's a, it's a lot to ask even of those folks to say like, no, we want to step up and be in the spotlight. It's like, listen, I've got a, it feels like I've got a lot on the line. I've got a lot to lose. This isn't how I've been able to actually make a space for myself in a place that did not want me here. Very cool. Yeah. Um, that was a cool conversation to, to get to witness. So you come into this, gr- this group of professionals who are in this, this right, is what they, they do. doing this work. Full yeah. Time. Yeah. Full time. And you're drop the neurodiversity thing. Yeah. You're like, let's talk about neurodivergent brains. And if you're serious about creating an equitable oh, yeah. and what's inclusive the, workspace, the we, they belong in this conversation as well. Cause yeah. your workforce that's the thing about neurodiversity, man. It doesn't care what the color of your skin is or what your gender identity is. It doesn't right. care about any of that. But it that does have to do with having a lack of access to things like diagnosis. Yes. Um, you're much less likely to get diagnosed if you're not straight, white, cis, male from an affluent background. Like yeah. if you don't fit into this very small demographic, that's what we've based all of those things on, all of the diagnostic criteria, then you might 
you're more likely to be excluded even if we are talking about neurodivergent people. And that felt really important to express today. And the other like thesis statement important thing to express today was that if because this is what I see again and again with my clients and it's what breaks my heart. If organizations are waiting on a formal diagnosis from their employees, they're going to be missing the vast majority of their employees who need neurodivergent related accommodations the most. That was kind of a mic drop moment yeah, for your that, presentation. That uh, was so cool. It felt so good to get to say. Y'all, she stood up in front of all of these people, all of these well-meaning people who are doing this work and told them that if you're waiting on this outdated medical and uh, mental health field to provide diagnosis on criteria that for autism or ADHD that were based on affluent white males, Mm -hmm. white male children, Mm -hmm. um, you are missing the mark. Not only is it super expensive to get this diagnosis, not only does it take years, but it explicitly overlooks women, people of color. Right. The people least likely to be able to get a diagnosis are women, people of color, queer people, people from impoverished backgrounds. And you told them like, if you are forcing your, if you consider yourself a neurodiverse affirming organization, Mm -hmm. but you only offer accommodations to your people when they have a formal diagnosis, you're not really (laughs) neurodivergent affirming. You're missing the people who need it the most. Yes. Um, yeah, that felt so good to get to say. And, um, I think it was a really well-received message, but that feels important to me to say. Well received. You had a line of people afterwards. (laughs) There were people with tears in their eyes wanting to come speak to you talking about that was 30 minutes. It's gone forever. (laughs) I can never get that done. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, that felt really good too. Something I had in mind as we were preparing to talk today is that like, I think that as you're talking about this stuff, what's going to come up for people are their families. I'm already aware that this is a pretty neurodivergent space. If you're in your organization (laughs) speaking like truth to power, you probably got a brain that works a little bit different. Like there's just a higher than average chance. That's kind of fucked up. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. But it is. Yeah, I hear But it's also like... um, you know, it makes me think like on a different topic, but it makes me think about how like black trans women have been on the front lines of like LGBTQ plus rights. It's like yeah, yeah, the most marginalized, the least likely to receive access are like the ones who are willing to lay their literal lives on the line to do that. And I think that it's people who have felt marginalized in one way or another in their own spaces going like, no, this just needs to be said. Mm-hmm. And it's not good enough for you to like, she was talking about like courageous conversations as they used to be referred to as like, oh, we're going to talk about race and not do anything about it. But like, these are the people who are like, no, something has to happen here. Yeah. We have to move this needle. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that felt, that felt really good to say. But what I had in mind today is that people think about their families when this stuff comes up. And so I had a lot of people come up after and say that it was very impactful that they were thinking of their kids and some of them had adult children or young adult children who they were saying, um, you know, they don't get to see themselves represented in this way. Like, could I show them a video of your speech? Like Mm -hmm. I want them to have access to like, this is something that's, that's possible for them. And that felt really, that felt really cool. It was really on my mind that. Something else on my mind going into this is that I'm getting to come in and do a slightly different thing. So they're speaking about really high-level, I think, corporate issues. They're talking about stuff that, like, I just don't have to deal with day in and day out. And honestly, even when I worked at an office, like, that wasn't the level. Well, they were talking about, like, hiring diversity at at that level where we're talking about tens of thousands of people being onboarded in a certain amount of time. Like, like it's it's a very high-level sort of conversation, for sure. Yes. Yeah, really high-level. Talk about feeling out of place. (laughs) (laughs) Just honored to get to be in that space, honestly. But um, as they're having that conversation now, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to shout out while you find your train um, that uh, Raven Solomon was the keynote speaker that we keep referencing. She was talking about intergenerational, um, just the intersection of different generations and racism and racial equity as a part of that. 
She also hosts a podcast that I'm going to shout out because she was great, the Generational View podcast. Yeah, last season I think she was talking about racism or race and in an intergenerational way, like talking about multiple generations. And this second season of her podcast, she said she's talking about all things Gen Z. So that's exciting. She was just pointing out that like boomers, baby boomers, you know, a lot of some of the older baby boomers were like in their late teens when um, Jim this, Crow. this Jim Crow rights or laws got revoked mm-hmm. and the civil rights movement mm-hmm. kind of came into play. So these people grew up remembering like whites only bathrooms, right? Yeah. So when you ask them, hey, have we made a lot of progress? They're the answer like, yeah. is fuck yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've made a lot of fucking progress. Mm-hmm. And then they look to like Gen Z or millennials who are like, we have so much more to go and, and, and there's listing, some dissonance there. Yeah, we're listing like top issues for our generations are like dealing with racism. Yeah. And I can imagine that if you've come from that, you're like, what racism? Yeah. And she put a lot of that in context yeah, in a way that did. I thought was very very helpful and is an important way to be talking about certainly somebody i aspire to emulate in terms of the quality of that presentation like Mm -hmm. if you're going to be in this space like that's that's what i want to aspire to is like how great that keynote was um yeah anyways that's neither here nor there it was just so for those listening who have been with us on this journey as we've been recording this podcast it was very empowering for me to sit there and watch my wife like Mm -hmm. go to bat for you yeah. You know, and she talked like my, cli- she said like my clients know what they want, know what ask they need. Them. Like they know what they need. Ask them what they need. Like, for accommodations in the workplace. Yeah. Yep. And stop waiting for them to have an official diagnosis to be able to get access to those things. That's not equitable. Like you're, they're ready. Like they want to be in these spaces. And honestly, like the lack of accommodations is killing people. It is so harmful and detrimental. And the main message of what I was talking about today was just, oh, that's what I was going to say was on my mind. I feel like on the one hand, I'm wanting to go into this conversation being very vulnerable and being very storytelling, like telling them how hard it is to be neurodivergent in an office space. And I want to tell them deeply how painful and hard that is. I didn't like say this in the presentation today, but like recently I've been on the phone with somebody who was like closed off in an office room at their office. They're just like calling, seeing about appointments and stuff. And they're like, I think in tears saying like, I can't get help at work. Yeah. Like I... I can do this job, but I can't do this job in this office with all the office stuff going on. Somebody's got to help me. And that's the feeling that I'm coming into this with. So on the one hand, I want to say like, you are killing us making this thing happen, like making this such a difficult thing to get access to and having to have people in spaces that are not built for them. On the other hand, I want to be professional I want to be like we're valuable to your workspaces it's not that like things are tough on us and you should include us it's like you fucking want us here we are good for your business we are like we are driving change and growth and development and you have got to like pay attention to us think about like how great your employees are when they're at their most productive right when in your office or whatever, like you've created an environment for neurotypical people, they're doing, they're in the office, they're cranking out productivity. Mm -hmm. Take that same situation and light the whole building on fire and say, sit there and produce. And that is, and of course I'm not going to be able to produce the buildings on fire. I can't focus. I'm worried about my own personal well being, And that's what it's like for somebody with autism or somebody with ADHD to be expected to like produce at the same rate in the same exact environment as the neurotypical person, or at least that's what was on my mind as you were giving Mm -hmm. your presentation today. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good analogy. So the, the point, I think, you know, there was like the thesis statement, but I think the point of what I was saying, what I kept repeating again and again was just that like there's nothing wrong with our brains it's all about the environment like what's happening with neurodivergent people and if you're new to the podcast welcome what's going on with neurodivergent people is that we are not a list of these symptoms that have been the diagnostic criteria forever and ever those are the things that happen when you put a brain like ours into an environment that is not suited for it when we're in spaces that are supportive of us or at the very least like not actively harming us 
our brains do incredible things. And if you are autistic, if you have ADHD, if you have dyslexia, or if you're like in any way a part of this neurodivergent community, like you are needed in the world. There are things that only your brain can do in the way that it does. And it's not, it hasn't been fair to you that you've been expected to perform in environments that weren't built for you and like I said in the presentation it's like asking a fish to climb a tree like it's just not a good measure of what that can do of what that fish can do yeah and when you say that like we're not a list of symptoms it's like saying you know it's raining really hard and the wind is blowing really fast well that checks the boxes for this is a hurricane Mm -hmm. well it's no that means the rain it's raining and the wind is blowing it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it's a hurricane like the symptoms aren't the diagnosis but we've treated it like that. So right. every time it's raining and the wind is blowing, we would call that a hurricane because yeah. that's what, but like we need a higher level of view. We need yeah. a satellite image to confirm that. Right. Right. We, like for instance, dyslexia is something that I didn't talk a lot about today. Um, I mentioned it as part of the community, but dyslexia, I think well known is just like you can't read well. The words get mixed up on the page or the letters get yeah. mixed up or I think everybody yeah. has a different, you know, impression of what that is, but it's something about not being able to read well and struggling with that. No, it's a neurotype. There's a whole thing going on with your brain and people with dyslexia tend to be top-down thinkers, which means that they tend to now nothing is true for every single person in a group, but they tend to be really, really good at quickly grasping a whole concept and then they can fill in the details. My brain's the opposite. I cannot grasp a high level concept. I want every little tiny bit of information before I fill in that big picture. And people with dyslexia have a different neurotype. It's not about not being able to read well or having, you know, words getting mixed up on the page. It comes with all these other beautiful strengths. But we've identified you struggle in school because you can't read well. And that's that's the thing about you. Mm-hmm. And if you hear it, you know what that is. And that's the thing. And that's the symptom. But understanding dyslexia as a neurotype is, oh my gosh, they're more likely to be top-down thinkers. They're more likely to be able to manipulate objects um, like be able to take an object in their mind and like rotate it and understand the other side of something. And that's related to a lot of like fascinating and needed things. Um, in, like skill sets in the, in the work- workplace. Yeah. Mean? Skill yeah. sets in the workplace. And it's like, we just know it as the one thing. And so I think we feel the same way about autism and ADHD. Like, Oh, it's somebody who can't focus. That's somebody with ADHD. They just can't focus. No, nope. like, no, no. They have an extreme ability to focus. We were sitting with a gentleman at our table who said that he was ADHD, mm-hmm. and um, I would love to shout him out, but that's not my place. But because he was great, yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you're listening, you know who you are. We loved you. We um, loved you. <laughs> but he said, "I get intensely like um, I, I can hyperfocus so hard that I forget to eat. I forget to drink." Oh my god, that's so common. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally just a difference in focus, like you explained in your episode today. just a difference today. in focus. And getting to say that to people who I think can make a difference at their organizations felt really good. I fe- it felt really, really good to advocate on behalf of like yeah. my community. A, b- a big one for people, especially kind of in an office environment, is like, I don't want to come work in the office anymore. I mm-hmm. want to work from home. I think a lot of neuro- neurodiverse people feel that way. How many people did we have come up to us today to explain that they discovered they were neurodivergent? During COVID. During COVID. Oh, and now I'm working from home and I realize I fucking hate going to the office. And I never realized that before because it was just an evil that I had to subject myself to. But I hate going into the office. I'm better at my job out of the office. I fucking hate it there. It's the worst environment for me to work in. And I, and I'm, I hate it so much that I realized I'm autistic (laughs) (laughs) when you didn't make me go. When I finally got to be in an environment that was suitable to me, when I finally got to have the things I needed, whether that was music playing or absolute silence or got to have, you know, whatever, more comfortable clothing on my body, whatever the thing was. And that was true for me too. And that's not laziness. No. Like, Like you would rather wear sweatpants than like suit pants. Doesn't mean you're a bum. Yeah. Right? 
for me, the difference between wearing sweatpants and suit pants is that when I put sweatpants on, I stop feeling them because they're comfortable. They don't hug me too tightly. And now I'm actually just focused on like human stuff. But when I wear office pants with like the structured and the buttons and the zipper and all that shit, that's all I think about. I remember sitting at my desk and just feeling my pants on my body all day more than I remember as much about the work that I was well, doing. Well, I've said it for a long time. Your pants look better on my floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's when where your pants belong. Well, my jobs get that about me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a real... And it's a real thing that's happening and getting to like get up there and show some real data to back up like what's going on and what can happen when folks are actually in a suitable environment felt amazing. Steven Johnson, I'm shouting him out again from Lowe's. First of all, the man was wearing a gorgeous off purple suit, like purple gray suit. Beautiful. Before I even knew who he was, I complimented the suit. You know, I complimented the suit. Um, He came up to you after your presentation and, and said, because you you shared that, that thirty to forty percent of neurodivergent people are unemployed, which is eight times higher than the norm, the average population, and like three to four 30, times higher. Yeah, sorry, thirty to forty percent more neurodivergent people are unemployed than the general population, which is three times that for people with other disabilities and eight times that for people without disabilities. If you're in a wheelchair, I you've you and you think you have it rough. <laughs> no, I'm fucking kidding. I'm sorry. I'm fucking kidding. No, no, no. Like that's so real, and that's the other thing. I think that anytime there are marginalized communities, people are wanting to like pit us against each other. I think there's always gonna be. No, like, we gotta lift each other up, right? Right. I think that the easiest thing in the world to like not make any progress and to not listen to people who need support and resources is to go like fight amongst yourselves. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make some jokes here that we might end up taking out okay if they're in there just know i want an argument okay it's me a few days later editing the episode and i just want to point out it is really hard to win an argument against a therapist you know what i mean okay uh love you guys say it back I think that it's so important to recognize that when we talk about like disabled folks or differently abled folks and neurodivergent people, like we're all getting put in the same bucket of like, you don't fit the norm of what we expect from you. And so we're going to treat you differently and we're going to think about you differently. And I think we're all sick and tired of that. So we need to join forces and recognize that in solidarity, we can make the workplace better for everybody, yeah. including the normies, <laughs> <laughs> including the able-bodied normies, that was right? The other thing that people kept coming up and saying is they're like, this stuff would be good for me too. And I think that certainly some people were having some like realizations about their own brains, but a lot of people were just saying like, and all throughout my time planning this presentation, people have been saying like, that just makes sense for everybody. Walk like, us don't, through. We all need, you know, processes documented in a clear. That's what I was going to say. Walk us through some of the level, the different accommodations that you recommended to this group yeah. today. So I talked first. Wait, wait. I'm so sorry. I want to just for anybody who's not on the same page, an accommodation is a formal difference in approach to your employment that you have requested and that yeah. has been made available to you that is outside the norm of what is made available to the rest of the employees. Yeah. So what's generally happening in workplaces is that if you're autistic, you need to like submit to HR basically that you need an accommodation, which is that technical term for that. And then you're going to need receipts. You're going to need a letter from your therapist, you're going to need the diagnostic report. And then, and I was recently talking to somebody about this. You're going to need to lay out in detail every symptom you experience as an autistic person and why those symptoms prevent you from not justify the accommodation. Right. right. And often for accommodations that to me just like are are ridiculous like still don't help (laughs) still aren't enough but like you have got to I mean 
again, I'm like having these conversations with people actively who are looking for accommodations and you have got to just like turn your life inside out and paint this, the worst case picture of yourself and then go, here's why I need to wear earplugs in the office. Like what sort of shit is that? That makes me so angry. And as I was first getting ready to come do the presentation, you were feeling some anger. I was feeling angry because I just hear people all day say like, fuck, I can't work. Like I can't even provide for myself because I'm so burnt out on the jobs I've done. And they're, they're all like, every time I go into a job, I do great. They're like, everybody's like, you're amazing. You're amazing. I'm doing way more work than anybody else. I'm taking on all this stuff. And then I quit and I don't give my two weeks because I'm done. When I'm done, I'm past done. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's very hard. And then it's hard to access diagnosis in the first place a lot of times for neurodivergent people and I think what's unique and what impacts the the disability bit here is it's an invisible disability and so it's not that it's a harder disability specifically because there are certainly been it's like to me it's like being bisexual where there are some big benefits that come along with being able to go around straight people safely I look like I'm in just a straight yeah relationship and I have spaces that I have access to that are safe for me that aren't safe for like openly queer presenting people at the same time there are some things that are no longer accessible to me and like the bisexual community um experiences the highest rate of like domestic violence within their relationships because when you can be in spaces that aren't safe for queer people, but you're a queer person, more violence can be done to you. And I think that the same thing happens in a similar ish way with invisible disabilities where like you might actually literally be able to walk into the building. And that is certainly a privilege to be able to do because buildings are not created for people who need accessibility tools to enter them. That said, there is a lot of like, actual violence I think that can be done to you when you have been admitted into a space that is not built for you yeah and doesn't like what you brought to the table <laughs> back in my conservative ed- conservative edgelord days I, I <laughs> definitely remember f- people saying that they don't like the term disabled and I'm like fucking get over it like you are disabled like mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you like it's not an insult like you you're you're not able to walk like mm-hmm. you, you know you're disabled now that I am aware of my neurodivergence, my ADHD, and my bipolar 2, mm-hmm. and we're about to get into this, but yeah. I'm going to talk about the request for accommodations that I recently made mm-hmm. with my employer, and I want to share the letter that was written on my behalf and how frustrating I found that entire process. Um, now that I recognize that my diagnoses are covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, and my company offers accommodations because they are legally required to. It isn't because they want to. It is because they are legally required. They may want to as well, but that doesn't fucking matter because they just do the bare minimum, what they are legally required to do. They just hit the legal requirements. Yeah, if you do more than that, then we'll talk. But like, if you're just meeting your legal requirements, you're just trying to stay out of legal trouble. Like, Mm -hmm. that's all this is, right? Um, I'm disabled. Mm -hmm. According to the ADA, I'm disabled. Mm -hmm. And... How fucking dare you say that about me? Like, that's so fucking upset. I wasn't, I never was called that. I never thought that about myself mm-hmm. until I realized this formal diagnosis. That's fucking upsetting. And shame on me for only coming to that conclusion when it affected me. Right, when you were part of that. Yeah. But that is the reality. Oh, that yeah. is has been my journey. I really do empathize with the position that you're in where through no fault of your own, you are considered different yeah. than the norm. Um, and as somebody who's considered different than the norm, but who is very good at his job, like very, like a a contributing member of society, it's very frustrating to be treated as other. Um, and I can't even imagine what that feels like for like somebody who's black or somebody who's Latino in the workplace. Who's like, again, something that you like or considered other. I mean, right. Like masking is something that is detrimental to neurodivergent people and it's something that like literally causes physical brain injuries but I can mask and that keeps me safe sometimes it certainly allowed me 
to get to work at jobs that I think that if I weren't able to mask, I wouldn't be able to do. And when you're black or brown or in a wheelchair or have anything else going on that is like openly presenting. You're just different than the norm, right? What we defined as the norm. Yeah. Like through evil means, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. I want to share about my, my journey for accommodations. Okay. I had some schmutz on my face. She had to get off. I got you. Thanks, Ash. Okay. Uh, For the 20 people that subscribe to the YouTube. I love each and every one of you individually. I got the schmutz off of (laughs) We appreciate you. Um, It was a hair. (laughs) Uh, First of all, the the subscriber number has like mattered less and less to me as we do this. I just enjoy doing it. (laughs) We hit 10,000 downloads of the the podcast itself. That was a huge milestone. Yeah. and it takes like 15 minutes to upload the YouTube video. So yeah. Yeah. We're happy to have all 20. Happiest clams. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can't name and I will not name my employer, um, for fear of retribution of speaking about this openly, which is incredibly fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should be able to tell my story mm-hmm. and own my story. Um, but I'm literally afraid that like that would re- will reflect poorly on the company yeah. and they would be upset that I told my story. So I'm not going to mention who yeah. I work for, but I'm a project manager for a large financial institution. Mm-hmm. And I just started a few weeks ago as a full-time employee. Mm-hmm. It's a hybrid position. I've been working for remotely since 2019, since before COVID. I've yeah. been, I've been blessed to yeah, be able to work remotely. Yeah, you've worked from home forever. Yeah. yeah. And very successfully. Um, I love going into the office, yeah. surprisingly enough. You're such a people person. You love to go be around people. Yeah. It's I fun thought I would hate it. I thought I would resent it. I fucking love it. I love being with the folks. I love being with the people that I work with. That's such a pleasure. Um, I have bipolar disorder, as we said earlier. So it's not been severe for many years. Mm-hmm. But as a part of my diagnosis, I am... I, I tend to go to a, I can tend to go to a very depressed state yeah. and then cycle out of that into a manic state. Mm-hmm. Neither one lend themselves well to an office environment. Yeah. I have proven over the years that I can maintain a great, I can do a, excuse me, I can do a great job working remotely. You don't have to miss a day. Like yeah. you can go do it, but sometimes your day is from bed and sometimes your day is in between you going out and pacing or running around the neighborhood because you've got all this extra energy that you've got to do something with. Yeah. So I'm able to manage it well from home. I have not had to... Well, this became a problem before I started working from home when I was going into the office and I was unmedicated and I was undiagnosed. And in your early 20s is when this sort of stuff starts to crop up. So I started Mm -hmm. experiencing the full joys of having bipolar disorder in an office environment and lost my job because of it. Um, And then when I started getting the help that I needed, I was finding a huge or incredible success professionally. And and I mean, another company we won't name, but circumstantially, you had just told them that you had bipolar. Yeah. And it was almost immediately after that that you were let go. And you're not, I'm hearing that story again and again as well. Yeah. So for if anybody from the DEI conference is actually listening to this, you should, the work you're doing is incredible and we're so ha- proud of you. But the lived experience for folks is like very different than what I heard talked about today oh, in yeah. the room. Yeah. Like, like it fucking sucks out here. And I like, that's not the message that you're going to bring to that group right. because we're not and trying we're, to dampen their spirits or whatever. And I haven't worked for those specific organizations. Sure. I hope that it's all amazing all of the time, but the lived experiences that we've had and the lived experiences of the people who I get to see as a therapist or encounter in some way as a therapist. I had worked for the same company for sucks. four and a half years and I finally came out and told them I had bipolar disorder and they fired me and I, there was a police officer who escorted me out of the building. Yeah. It was humiliating. It was fucking humiliating. Yeah. I didn't deserve that. I didn't yeah. do anything to deserve that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, fast forward to now, I am in discussion with you. I'm in discussion with my therapist mm-hmm. that going into the office could present a challenge if I find myself, it's not unlikely that I find myself going through a depressive state or a manic state. Um, it's been I, a long time since that's severely hit, but it's it's not unlikely that that happens. And as your partner, 
I felt very strongly about like when we have had those moments in the past, it's been the scariest moments of our life. And like, I wasn't, I'm not willing to lose you over needing to send you into the office that day. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not willing to watch that worst case scenario play out, but also like, I'm not going to send you into the office in a way that extends your suffering. Even if you come home to me at the end of the day, the conference that we went to today was near our old apartment that we used mm -hmm. to live to live um, in Charlotte when we first moved here. And we drove past it today just mm-hmm. to reminisce. And all I could think about was how many times I almost killed myself in right. while we lived in that apartment because yeah. of just how much I didn't like being alive. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I survived. Yeah. Uh, man, this is fucking dark. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll try to bring it back. In tandem with you and my therapist, I, I agreed that it would be wise to request an accommodation from ahead my, of time. Ahead of time. Yeah. I have to work a hybrid schedule. I'm, I have to go into the office three days a week. Mm-hmm. That is not a problem for me. I yep. like it. Um, yeah. But the, first of all, the office fucking sucks. It's like sterile and gray and drab and, and just like the worst env- environment. But I love the people. I like going for the people. My team works there. I, I don't that. get it. But I added in like having a more vibrant office space as an accommodation because of how often you and other ADHDers talk about like, I can't even focus staring at a gray wall. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, there's nothing going on <laughs> yeah. in here that's interesting. There's not even like corporate bullshit dentist office artwork on the wall. <laughs> Believe you know? and you matter. Yeah, give me like a cat hanging from a rope like (laughs) hang in there you know (laughs) give me something jesus uh but so i made an accommodation request through my work they have a good process for this Mm -hmm. and it fucking sucked they have a they actually are an organization that has a good process they have a good process for this and it fucking sucks they i had to explain what i needed as an accommodation and the accommodation I was looking for was that at my discretion, I could work from home on days that I needed to come in. Should I be experiencing a depressive, depressive episode or manic episode? Mm -hmm. This is a life saving accommodation for me potentially. Yes. Based on like previous, like past years. Yes. This is a, could be a life saving accommodation for me. Um, so I was just requesting up to like five days a month, Mm-hmm. that I have to come in mm-hmm. that at my discretion, I could stay home. Yeah. I do not intend to use these days. This yeah, I exists. hope you never use a single one of those days. Like I hope that never comes up. I don't plan on it. And this wasn't some harebrained attempt to like not have to go into the office because mm-hmm. I didn't want to, like this was an authentic and good faith uh, request. Right. So I have a human resources person get in touch with me through their process. So I submit through the portal. She um, asked me all these questions about mm-hmm. what I was looking for, mm-hmm. like may, double checking that what I said and what I asked for were the same thing, mm-hmm. which is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And like really pushing for all of these different, the, the accuracy of this information. Then I asked my therapist of like five years to write a letter because I it wasn't good enough that my word of right. what I asked That's, for is enough. Yeah. I have to have a medical professional advocate on my behalf. Mm-hmm. This is the easiest case for me. I'm the easiest. Ca- I have a diagnosis. I have access to this stuff. I have right. to pay for all of this out of pocket, by the way. Um, and it's been very expensive over the years. Mm-hmm. But I have this, yeah. right? And I have a therapist who is in my corner with this. And that you happen to have had for a long time leading up to this. Because she needed to have a history with you going into this moment. She couldn't just write it out of the blue. And then she had questions for you as well to assess if this was something that you needed. Even though she knows it's something that you needed, she needed to check off her own checklist of yeah. making sure it was so a reasonable I had to defend myself twice in this process of why I needed this accommodation. And I want to read to you what she submitted to my company explaining why this accommodation of being able to work from home on occasion mm-hmm. was justified. She said, and I want you to know, I like this therapist. Oh, we, we have. Love I love her. this therapist. I have a great relationship with her, but this kind of fucked me up a little bit. You're right, and and thank you for writing this letter. Like it was, it was needed. Yeah. We're glad that she did, but oh my god. Um, the following are common symptoms that Mr. Baker demonstrates during a flare-up. 
severe irritability that could result in interpersonal conflict with coworkers and or management, an inability to concentrate on his work tasks and not getting these tasks completed on time, moderate to severe distractibility, making it difficult to carry on in-person conversations effectively, unpredictable moon swings that are very high or very low, resulting in not being able to get out of bed or not being able to sleep, there's the results in being either feeling too low mood or too tired physically to come into the office. An inability to follow work instructions by supervisor or coworkers due to racing thoughts and hearing a variety of external noises all at once. Highly energetic, where he cannot sit still long enough to stay focused on his work tasks in a work meeting. A severe depressed mood that makes it very difficult to come into the office and be productive. That sounds like I get fucking violent. That sounds like I regularly am like fucking unhinged mm-hmm. and get fucking violent in the workplace. And incapable of doing your job, which has never been true. Like you've you've always gotten your tasks done, you've gotten them done when they needed to be done. Like you've always been able to do the things you need to do, but what needs to be demonstrated in a letter like that is that this is a make or break, you have to have the accommodations you need. And even though that is true, that letter is not about a person that I feel like I even know. Or ever knew. Or right? ever knew. Yeah. And that was the point, like, and that was kind of acknowledged. This really has nothing to do with you. This is about going to bat to get you what you need. So yeah. we're going to make it sound as bad as possible. Right. We have to paint all of the worst things that have ever happened or have ever been, like, possible from what's been going on. So I get a call back from the HR rep who, again, needs me to confirm all of this information, which is hum- fucking humiliating. Like, yeah. yeah, I am severely irritable, and it causes you know, interpersonal conflict with, like, bullshit, right? Yeah. And then I'm asked to, uh, well, can we provide you your own office space? Fuck no. I don't want my own – nobody on my team has their own office. Like, I, that would be ostracizing. Like, that would be worse than – having the accommodation right. at all. Everybody has a hybrid schedule on your team, but not a single person comes in to go work privately in their own space. Yeah. And you being brand new to the team and suddenly getting your own office, right, it just ostracizes you. Yeah. So I said, no, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, and then a few other suggestions were offered because she's like, we're really trying to get people back in the office. Like, I want to be in the office. Like, that's not the problem. You know, I want to be able to also live mm-hmm. um, if things get really hard, which they might. They, they might. That's the name of the game here. Um, and so they offered the days that I could take off, quote unquote, from working in the office. They offered half what we requested. Um, And your therapist, knowing a lot more about the process than us, I think asked for about double what we just... Because you have to game this fucking system, right? This isn't in good faith. It's not in good faith. This isn't... Okay, let's listen to Price's medical professional who's been working with him. Fuck Price himself, right? We're not going to... I don't give a shit what Price says about what he needs, but we'll listen to the medical professional and we'll get... We'll meet them halfway Mm-hmm. So she knows to ask for double when she's when the letter is so severe, when the symptoms are laid out in such a humiliating sort of way, and still it's like okay, well you can get half because yeah. you've like been good and followed. My the boss process. saw this. Yeah, my boss. Oh yeah, saw then this. that was the next step of the process is that your boss gets to see that, and your boss gets to thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, my and my fortunately my boss is really great, and she approved what was eventually offered she could have denied it she could and she then, could have just denied it outright and then it, yeah outright and then if i had decided to escalate that then we would have had a meeting with my boss and the hr rep where once again i would be in a position of having to defend why i needed these accommodations in the first place irregardless of the letter from my mental health professor you're i to the listeners especially if you're from the dei conference do you see how hard this is do you see how dehumanizing this is? Do you see how challenging this would be for somebody who doesn't have a clear diagnosis, for somebody who doesn't have the support system, for somebody who's not literally married to a therapist? And when you have the ability to like mask until it's too late, when you have the ability to mask up until the point where it's like an emergency life or death sort of situation, do you understand why people would choose that over having to go through this process. Yeah. 
Like, of this course was awful. they would. This was fucking awful. Yeah. I hated every step of this. And now I have... Ashlyn's tearing up <laughs> yeah. over this. Um, and now I have the accommodation that I hopefully will never have to use, but it is such a blessing to me yeah. to know that I have it in case oh. that I do. Because the last thing I want to worry about on a day where I don't want to be alive is, oh, fuck, I have to go into the office. Like, that's right. the last thing I want to be having to deal with. Right. I need to deal with this organization at, like, a high corporate level to be able to advocate for my ability to stay at home today. Because it's not your boss's decision at that yeah. point. It's the company that says The that. cherry on top of this shit sun- Sunday is that in six months, I got to go through this again. I was just about to say, like, and for your efforts, you get to do it every six months. Every six months. And, and I've got to refight this battle. And if I don't use those days, they probably won't want to give me as many. Right. This, this will go away unless I use it. So now I'm obligated to use this accommodation that I don't really... Which is an accommodation really... you want to use. This is like a, your, the pharmacy didn't refill your prescription in time emergency situation. Or like a, yeah. something tragic happened in our lives and that sent you into a depressive episode. Like this is, we're already living in hell. Like this is already the worst case scenario when you're asking for an accommodation and yeah, it's this a very, is as good as it gets. I have a senior level position at this this organization. Process. This this is as organized as I've ever seen this. This is as affirming as I've ever seen this. I had the therapist in my corner. I had you in my corner. I, everything was perfectly laid out, and it and still you, fucking sucked. You are personally very knowledgeable now about this stuff and about talking about it, both about your own stuff and this at like a higher level. And yeah, yeah. it was the worst. So if you're a DEI professional listening to this, I hope that this speaks to you in some way. I'll call this out specifically. Like this whole process feels like it's not against me. Mm -hmm. It's against the perceived gaming of the system where I could forge a letter from a therapist and get to work from home, you know, because I don't want to come into the office anymore. And they're really trying to make sure that they're not giving accommodations away to people who don't need them. That's a management issue. On God. Like, that's 100% your bullshit corporation. Right, like, don't hire people you don't fucking trust. Yeah, don't <laughs> like, hire you don't people you don't trust. Rely on your actual managers and empower people oh, to get the too. accommodations that they need. And if it's not something that they need, most accommodations, what's the fucking harm? I Yeah, I totally feel that way. Like, we keep talking about, what do you keep saying about output? We don't don't measure in or inputs, just measure outputs. Yeah, like if people are getting their work done, and we saw over COVID, that's why so many neurodivergent people discovered they were neurodivergent in the first place. Like we were just talking about, we saw over COVID that like people got shit done. Yeah. Like the world turned upside down, and it was a nightmare time for most people, and people got their shit done. No, the and big- it's like. The fact that now there's back to the belief that like, well, we can't possibly make that work. When somebody is saying, like, this is a life-saving measure for me, like, it's just ridiculous. And I, I mean, we'll, our listeners, the people I work with, we all know it. We see right through it. Yeah. This in, return to office thing is corporate greed at its most transparent. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to gain other than the fact that the, the local governments that you work with have given you great tax relief to make your people come back into the office because your building was sounding empty. God forbid the housing crisis that we have right now in this country. Like, you need to fill your office with good little workers right. so you can make sure that everybody's being productive. You could do the same thing at home, but... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you want to talk about office culture. Like, this is your culture. This is what you made me go through. This was the culture I experienced, and it's yeah. fucking bullshit, you know? Right. Thank God I have a great team and a great, a great manager because the corporate side of this ain't doing any favors yeah for your image right now yeah uh yeah i think i'm gonna have to go delete my linkedin after this (laughs) i've been talking mad shit i'm really enjoying this new job like it's really good oh my god this has been amazing and And the accommodations process for me wasn't that draining emotionally it was just like what's so angering about it is that it's what everyone has to go through and i'm the best equipped to deal with this i feel How hard is this for other people? How hard is this yeah, we for the were folks who well are overwhelmed? equipped walking into that situation, and it's still a really tough one. And I think of so many people that I speak to directly who don't have that sort of support, who don't have that sort of access to something, who maybe don't have an official diagnosis. And it's like, 
you're just screwed. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? And so I felt really honored today. First of all, the people who were there God were bless you. so sincere. God bless all of you. And they were so excited to hear this message. And they were feeling very empowered to go take yeah. this back to their organizations. Like, good on you guys. And it, I just, like, feel honored also to get to advocate for my community. I get to have a work from home job where I only work four days a week and I have minimal hours and I keep up my energy to be able to go do something like this. It wiped me out this week. I want to nap today. (laughs) I kind of want to nap tomorrow the next day, but I'm going to go back to seeing clients because that's what I do. But like, I have a privilege of being able to access this space. I have a privilege of being able to have all of this information and I have the privilege of being able to have the flexibility to have the energy, the bandwidth to be able to do this. And but like, y'all doing this to single moms, man. Yeah. Y'all doing this to the people who are hurting the most. Yeah. Man, this it's kind of fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. But yeah. Yeah. If like this is the thing that you're advocating for in your job, if you do work in DEI or something similar, like... Oh my God! Thank you for existing. Yeah. Thank you for continuing Fighting to like, good hold fight. this line. In You're your the spaces. ones who are making the difference. You're the yeah. ones who are making it possible. Yeah. I recognize that maybe a couple of decades ago, I wouldn't have even been able to request this kind of accommodation. Right? Yeah. There would have been no process for that. Right? So you can't work here. <laughs> I, I definitely want to be like I, I want to be allowed to be critical of the system in the ways that I think it deserves criticism, while also grateful for the opportunity to have a great job that I love doing. Oh yeah. Please don't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) I just got the accommodations approved, homie. Come on. (laughs) No, everything about about that has been like a a gift to us. And there's a lot to be grateful for. And I feel like we both left today feeling so energized and so... Like, no, if you're not in the DEI space, if you're one of our regular listeners or you're tuning in because you're neurodivergent or you think that you might be, then you're like learning about yourself and learning about your brain. There are people out here advocating for you. I was going to say no, that like the people who are advocating for you are fucking amazing. They're like, and like we're in these spaces and we're talking about this stuff and this matters and it like, I won't stop. I'm not going to shut up about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to make me advocate harder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we met people today who are like in leadership, leadership positions in these organizations, driving real change in, yes. on this front who were really listening and who that really feels listening. really good. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I don't want it to all sound like bad or despondent. I'm a little butthurt that I was called like severely irritable to coworkers. <laughs> I, I recognize. I came in a little hot. I got a little hot there for a second. I want to. <laughs> I want to chill out. Fuck. Um, got a little irritable there, you know. <laughs> severely irritable. <laughs> maybe maybe it hurts so much because it's true. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, I my my anger and irritation with this is again on behalf of those who like so many of your clients don't even feel able to ask for the accommodations that they need. Yeah. Um, so while everyone else gets to work in an environment perfectly suited for them, the rest of us are might as well be on fire. The building Mm -hmm. may as well be on fire and you're like, concentrate. I can't concentrate. Being here is like being in hell. (laughs) Yeah. And I just out of today, I'm continuing to have opportunities to speak in this space, to get the privilege of speaking at like a really high level to these sorts of organizations. Oh yeah. You got invited to two different conferences today. So if you're a neurodivergent and you're feeling maybe hopeless or frustrated by the situation, what accommodations do you need? What can I advocate for? Like, let us know. Let me let me be your voice. I got you. I'll say whatever the fuck it is you need. Like, we'll go in there and say it. Cause like, yeah, I, I could just see easy. you like, so, um, <laughs> DEI professionals, um, what we need to offer to people with like, let's say specifically autism in the workplace is like, you pull out your note and you're like three D star Wars holographic <laughs> puzzles. <laughs> and some dude just listening is like, yes, <laughs> in there. <laughs> Yeah. In my pants on the floor. My pants on the floor, <laughs> y'all. Bro, if you had some cut, like rip away Velcro pants before Ooh, you. That would have been so sick. That would have been mm, sick, dude. Yeah. Would have been inappropriate for a workplace environment. 
pretty inappropriate for a workplace environment. Guys, I'm having a, it's a fine line, you know? Let's all envision this together, though. Let's all Let's take a moment. Let's close our eyes. And are we closing our eyes and picturing Ash without pants on? Is mm-hmm. that what we're doing mm-hmm. as a podcast? Let's all do this together. Mm. Mm. It's not, she's been doing a lot of squats at the gym <laughs> lately, so. Okay, we gotta move on. <laughs> <laughs> As we're passing out little promotional cards for the podcast, and again, in this workplace uh, environment. Very professional. Very professional environment. I'm like, we cuss a lot. <laughs> we cuss a lot. <laughs> Enjoy, we cuss words. a lot. They're grown up words. Sorry. <laughs> we're married. This is in our house. We cuss a lot. <laughs> this is my very official business card, and this is where Price talks about his penis, so enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, we're grateful for it. We're, I've had a couple people tell me that that episode meant a lot to them. So the, the, uh, the, the penis, the body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia episode. penis yeah. episode. Nice. That's, I, I'm glad to hear that. Cause like, that's a real, t- that's a real issue. Like I'm not just trying to be like crass. Like that's, yeah. that's a real thing that affects people, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that if you're neurodivergent, you got to like, you got to eat, right. You got to pay your bills. You, you know, yeah. this is a, this is also a, like a super relevant topic of like, workplace accommodations so oh, for sure if you if you are de a dei professional please hear us just so grateful for the work that you do thank and, you <laughs> and please understand that we think that there's a lot of work to be done yeah you know you've got a long road ahead of you and you've got and you've accomplished so much mm-hmm. but you have so much left to accomplish accomplish and we're just here as like supporters and partners for yeah. you um and if you're neurodivergent or think that you might be you have allies here. You have mm-hmm. you have allies in the corporate world who are like fighting to create an opportunity for you to just make a fucking living, right? Because that's what yeah. we're all just trying to do. Nobody's expecting to be CEO right, of the company. Trying to get by. We're just trying to make it happen, trying to get by. And you've got allies here fighting on your behalf. So, um, and please, um, if you think that you're able to, don't be afraid to ask for what you need yeah. or to ask how you can ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I... How can I even have this conversation in my workplace? And let's always like keep in mind alternative routes to what you need. So like so many people are afraid to have the HR accommodation conversation. Maybe that's not where you want to start. Maybe your business has a DEI person. Maybe you want to go talk to that person and see how they can help to advocate on your behalf. Like I think... I think they're fucking cool. So I'm talking big game about you guys today and like, I want to see you live into it, but this was, it's just been amazing and it feels, it feels very hopeful to get to be in that space. And Ash, I want to shout you out. Like, again, you killed it at this presentation. Um, You got invitations to two paying speaking gigs Mm -hmm. as a result immediately. Like you walked off the podium to that. And you had a line of people wanting to come speak with you immediately after. If you're one of the people who was in line, because I know we handed out cards to them, like it genuinely meant so much to me um, to get to talk to you. And it impacts me that it impacted you. And like, I'm grateful for for all of you as well. Um, I had people who weren't even working in DEI who were just like attending for a different reason. They're helping or whatever. And like that, it, it really means a lot like it is hard work for all of us and like it's yeah. something we do together and it's nice to hear from you ash do you think that you'll be doing more of this type of work because I, I know your heart lies with your actual clients oh, yeah. and your heart lies with educating other therapists on these issues um how was today and do you, do you think that we'll see more of this from you moving forward well yeah like my as we've said my clients are my babies like I love you guys and the stuff that I do is about you. Like the education that I go do for other therapists is about you. <laughs> the anger this that we're feeling today is about you. Like, right. like the, the like absolute rage burning in my gut is about you. Like you guys are, um, she means that she yeah. does. Yeah. No, you guys are like, family to us obviously not to me i don't know I was gonna you say, obviously like bryce doesn't get to know <laughs> i know anything, you as a collective like... i don't know any individuals <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are are like my people and i feel grateful for the way that you like trust me in that space and i want to also deserve your trust out in the world and like it's important to me that outside of the therapy space I'm advocating. And I think that this is such a cool and needed way to be advocating. And I think that today it was very welcomed, which was very 
encouraging because I think there are some spaces where what I said today wouldn't be welcomed. And uh, so, yeah, I want to keep getting in there. The people that I met today were so, so cool. And yeah. just doing some, like, amazing stuff. And very sharply dressed, you guys. Very sharply wow. dressed. Mm, looking good. So, <laughs> yeah, just thankful for that. But, yeah, I see myself doing more of this and I always hope to make things work for one another so I hope that this work helps to like fund other work that we want to do and I hope that um, this work helps to make a difference to move the needle even a little bit in some of these organizations that like could could potentially be if I can really pull back the curtain the question is like how can we grow this business right because ultimately the counseling that you offer is a business right how can we grow this business? Well, the first immediate answer is to raise your rates. Right. But you don't want to do that. Yeah. So that's... You've had like a huge problem with just the thought of that, right? My issue is that I need to be able to have enough energy to work, do the work that I do. And to do that, I need to not do too much of it. And I'm, you know, working to like hire somebody else and do those sorts of things. But like... I need to not burn myself out because this work is too important to just to burn myself out doing. Yeah, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So the way to be able to afford to do that work is to charge more, but that's not something that I feel great about because even though I'm sure there are very wealthy people who could use this, there are an awful lot of people struggling because they can't get fucking jobs who also need this. And I like, those are my people. I want to be there for you guys. So something exciting that we have during this conversation is like, if I get the opportunity to go speak at a higher level, um, for these businesses, right. And to be paid to do that, it gives me the opportunity, like, you guys, I'm about giving away some counseling. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's where my heart is. That's always going to be the thing I care about. And I want to be able to make that as equitable a space as possible. And this is a cool route to do that while getting to advocate for the community that I love and care about. So it's a ve- it's been like a very happy, gratitude-filled day for sure. Yeah, yeah. The anger's real, but, like, so is the joy at getting to be in this space and honestly being around people who, like, get it. The conversations I had, like, just sitting there over lunch about how I got into this work in the first place and what it means and how other people got into DEI work is just, like, there are people who get it, and it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to say before we close out? I love you all individually. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. Um the like our feelings here are real because our feelings for you all in this community are real yeah and like we're gonna keep doing this and thank you for showing up and listening it keeps us going and um yeah i feel like the vibe today was a little different it was a little not different. bad but we're feeling i think we're coming out with some strong emotions after the success of the presentation today and just oh y'all i kept calling myself her trophy husband he is a trophy husband. You guys, every time my drink got like halfway empty, I had coffee in the morning that Price filled and got for me. I had water that never went unfilled. Price was, in, I'm having conversations and Price is replacing the water in my hand. He, uh, he's full on trophy husband. I know where my bread is buttered. <laughs> <laughs> I'll butter your bread anytime. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, with that... <laughs> Ash, thank you so much for your time. Price, thank you for your time. And we'll see you next time on I Married Your Therapist. (laughs) 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 It was a good day. It's been a big one. It was a big, it was a big day. It definitely, we weren't sure how people were going to respond and all of that, but definitely like walking out of that, I see a path to you actually making something of this, this piece. Right. So I think that's really cool. Proud of you. Very proud. I'm proud of us. Mm. Okay.